If you find yourself somewhere around the midpoint of life, uh, how's it going? Do you feel like you're on track with your goals or are you still playing catch up? Or maybe you're considering some important changes to life. Uh, Wherever you may be in that journey, we want to explore what life is like in the middle years on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around what is the middle life, the middle years. There's no chronological definition. I think it's, I've said it's when you send kids to college, then you qualify for middle age. Is that right? What do you think? I don't know. I I don't know if it's chronological, like 40 to 60 sounds pretty much like the middle. I don't know. We'll ask our guests when we get a chance. But the one thing is, I love this idea. Our guest has written in her book, The Middle Matters. This idea of assessing where you're at, what's working, what's not working, and maybe we'll be mature enough to say we got to make some changes on the things that aren't working. Yeah, and we've all seen train wrecks where people are having kind of a midlife crisis, right? I mean, the stereotypes for that. Um, we're going to get beyond that, though, and think through scripturally what does it mean to be in these middle years. And we have Lisa Jo Baker back with us. She's an author, speaker, and podcast host. Uh, She has a real gift of encouragement, and uh, especially for women, and some good insight for men as well, of course. Uh, She's written a book that's the basis for our conversation called The Middle Matters. Lisa Joe, welcome to Focus again. I'm so happy to be back. It's great. And of course, Jean is merely a teenager. But I thought she could give us some, you know, insights on midlife. Barely in the yeah. middle years. I'm surprised I even thought of this. <laughs> it's so good to have you here, too. Well, it's always a pleasure being here. It's so much fun. Uh, Lisa Joe. let's ask that question. What is the definition of the midlife, the middle years? Who, who are we? I, I'm, I'm guessing it depends on who you ask, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think it could be by age, but it could just be by stage. I've had women that are in their late 20s tell me, I feel like I'm in midlife right now just because I have kids that are so much older that are going into high school or college. And then there are moms who started later in life, and so they might be in their 40s by the time their kids are heading into high school or graduating high school. So, I mean, I do think it's one of those things your internal barometer (laughs) nudges you and you get that feeling. You wake up one morning and you think to yourself, oh, I'm not at the beginning anymore. I'm in the middle. (laughs) That's so true. I think that hit me at 50. That feels like the middle of something. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Well, let's dive into your story, Lisa Jo. Uh, You describe how in these middle years, uh, you tend to be more concerned about the comfort of your clothing rather than the size. <laughs> I know. That's definitely true even for guys, right? What yeah. fits and what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, it really hit me one morning when I was going to my closet, and there are a pair of jeans I bought once upon a time in Prague. And my husband and I, I mean, right, that tells you right there. That tells you not, they're not really midlife jeans. But my husband and I had taken a trip, a lost trip, just the two of us before we had kids. And we'd gone to Prague and there was this beautiful little store. I got this pair of jeans and I looked at them and I felt like the jeans were looking back at me and telling me there's not a chance. <laughs> and I thought about those jeans and I thought about trying to fit into them. And instead, I reached for a pair of comfy sweatpants um, or a different size jeans. And I really in that moment, though, I wasn't sad. I didn't miss that version of myself. I had a a new kind of contentment with the stage I was in now. And I think about this body that grew these three humans that live in my home now and how it has changed (laughs) over the years. 
And I realized I, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't trade what I have now for those prog jeans. And maybe, listen, maybe one day I'm going to wear those jeans again. I'm, I'm not saying I'm never. You're betting on it. But at the same time, <laughs> there's just a sense of peace with this age and stage I am now. You know, those jeans represent me before I had kids, before I knew what it was like to deal with difficult teenagers, before I'd been married 20 years. So I love those jeans. They tell a love story. But my sweatpants tell a whole different kind of love story. Gene, <laughs> are you relating to this? Absolutely. I, absolutely. Every pair of pants I own right now don't have a real zipper. They're oh. just stretchy. Glory, hallelujah. It's practical. Nothing will break. Right? Somebody came up with a great idea. Man, forget that. At Lisa Joe, you struggled with the idea of feeling beautiful as a woman since you were a teenager. Some mm-hmm. people are probably hearing an accent. You're from South Africa. Mm-hmm. So speak to that struggle and so many women. Uh, who have that similar struggle. Sure, because there's all these messages bombarding us from culture about what beauty means, what beauty looks like. There's this one standard of beauty. And I have a daughter, and so after two sons and having a daughter, it suddenly became really important to me to figure out, like, what do I do about this whole beauty conversation? And I wonder if in childhood, a lot of us, Jean, I'd be interested if you've had an experience like this, but when we're little, when we're tweens or teens, we can be shaped by the things people say to us. And I remember being 16, driving in the car with my mom, and it was the season of Miss South Africa, you know? And I remember telling her, Mom, one day I am going to be Miss South Africa. And she looked over at me with just tenderness and the love of a mom and then said words I wish she could take back. (laughs) She said... Oh, my darling, I think you're beautiful. Just not in that way. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. right? Like, what a zinger. So that stays with you, and it starts to define part of who you are. And having a daughter now, what I've realized is important is that beauty is is in the eye of the heavenly beholder. Like, God names everything that he made good, and he talks about everything being beautiful in Ecclesiastes. And I, now as a mom of a daughter, I remember a moment where when she was a toddler, she was talking about her little tummy. You know how toddlers have, like, a little chubby belly and she was really worried and concerned about it and I took her outside and we have these giant oak trees in our yard and they're hundreds of years old but they start with a tiny chubby little acorn right and I showed her the acorn and I said this is what your belly is like everything God knows that you need to grow is packed into you and he is going to stretch it up Mm. and grow you into one of these big trees and none of these trees I promise you leans over and whispers to another tree you know do these pants make me look xyz like how do you what do you think of this bark like am i okay no these trees are mighty and beautiful and they give us shade and they've lived hundreds of years and they tell long stories about weathering storms and so now when i think about beauty i define it differently i mean sure there are parts of us looking in the mirror that we want to feel comfortable and beautiful but strength kindness joy courage faithfulness all of these are elements of beauty that are packed into that little acorn that's that a great yeah. analogy. grow out of. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. What a great way to explain it to a young person, especially. Gene, what about that? I know that um, the teen years, that can be tough on girls, especially girls. You grew up in Southern California. I mean, it was all about looking perfect, right? Absolutely. It, yes, I think you get those messages, even those of us who didn't grow up with social media, that, yes, you know who are the the prettiest girls at school. And and when I was growing up, thin lips were 
We're popular. <laughs> so We're in. Isn't it funny the yes. things that change over yes. the years? And I had I had the same size of lips when I was <laughs> six years old, so they were big at the time. And I can remember standing in the milk line huh. in elementary school, oh. and a girl in front of me didn't know I was behind her, and said, "Oh, yeah, Jean and Linda have huge lips." Mm. And I so then I, my sixth grade picture. I smiled. I got my lips really <laughs> tiny, but so those things, yes. you know, they, they, they do stick. They yeah. stick. Well, yeah. I'm glad you have lips the way you do. <laughs> well, I love thank your lips. You. Thank you. <laughs> Let me ask you, too. You had this exchange, and again, a lot of this goes to body image, which mm. has captivated so many young people, so many young girls, and that's why we're spending a few moments on it here. But you had that experience with your dad, and mm. you were going to see him, and you hadn't seen him in a while. Right. It was his 70th birthday, I think. Right. And it seemed like in the book you mentioned your first thoughts were about your weight. And he's I know. A- and how sad is it that having not seen him in so long, that's what I would be worried about. It's so no, ridiculous. I mean, I, th- I think it's common. <laughs> yeah. And I had, you know, part of it is my dad's a doctor. He's very health conscious. He, you know, takes fitness and exercise seriously. And I felt like I'm just going to prepare him. That we're just a little fluffier around the edges, you know. We are carrying some of our stress in our genes, and um, so I called him, and I just was like, kind of try to ease into mentioning that we're coming home a little heavier than than we wish we were. And it was the most beautiful reaction. It really was sort of the antidote to how my mom had responded with my beauty pageant question. He said to me in his beautiful South African British accent. Oh, my darling, no, just come home. The more of you, the better. We can't wait to hug you and hold you. And really, the whole time you're here, we really intend to put a few more pounds on because we've got all your favorite foods planned. (laughs) You know, and it just, I hope people listening are, are not hearing me talk about, this is not a conversation about healthy eating or exercise per se. It's really about healthy viewing of ourselves. And when you are viewed through the, the lens of love like that, which mm-hmm. is really how God sees us too, I think, and you feel so lovable, it changes how you look at yourself in the mirror. So when I look at the pictures from that trip home, I just see joy. I see delight. I see family. That's yeah. beautiful. It is. And it's a great way to see yourself. Okay. We've kind of looked at the self-image mm. of how we view ourselves and those things that hurt whether it's about your lips or your weight or whatever it might be. Mm. I remember a guy in high school, I was a ninth grader. He was probably 11th grader. I've mentioned this before. He was a big dude, a swimmer. And he turned around in PE class and just hit me right in the sternum <laughs> to the oh. point where it cracked. Oh. And he goes to his friend, he goes, see, this this kid hasn't filled out yet like us. <laughs> and I'm sitting there wheezing, <laughs> you know, about to die. And I'm going, thank you for Ouch. making me your example. <laughs> But it, it, it yeah. happens in that way with the boys, mm-hmm. you know, physique and, yeah. you know, are you buff and built out? And somehow all those feelings follow us all the way oh, through yeah. life. Right. Uh, Lisa Joe, another issue that you mentioned in the book, and this is a little corner turn here, but it's about marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we read articles where midlife can take a toll on marriage. Um, you've raised the kids, or you're raising the kids, and they're kind of toward the end. And you're both looking up going, who are you? Right. And, you know, it's unfortunately one of the fastest areas of divorce. 
So when you start to think about feeding your marriage and taking care and tending to your marriage, when you're in that midlife zone, how do you approach your relationship with Pete, your husband? Mm. Well, maybe I'll begin by saying I had read an article in the Huffington Post that I think is sort of a segue between body image and midlife of marriage because it was the teenager quote of the week. And this is what the quote was. My life will never be complete until someone has run through an airport to stop me getting on a plane. Mm -hmm. Right? Which is this trope from all the rom-coms. Right. You could never do today anyway because TSA would never allow that. (laughs) Or get tackled by police before that. But I understand it, right? It ties into all these ideas we have about how we're supposed to look or how we're supposed to be loved. And I remember reading that and thinking, no, just period, full stop, no. That cannot be the end of the story because the problem is with movies is after that moment, the credits roll, right? And you go back to your real life where real love you forget actually lives because after the guy ran through the airport, they have to live 20 years together or 30, 40, (laughs) 50 years and of 50 years of him throwing his socks on the side of the bed every night. Like, where's that love story? And so I remembered writing and thinking about this idea about love in the middle. Like, that's the real love like the love stories that are the beginnings they they're fleeting they're gone in like a heartbeat but then you've got 50 years where are the love stories in the trenches and so for me it has really been having eyes to see what love looks like there I mean there the love story is my husband who chooses to drive the minivan in the heat of summer with the broken air conditioning for me you know or the guy who says don't worry I'll go out at 8 30 and do the late night run and the pickups or the guy who comes home not with roses but with like chocolate covered strawberries or you know uh, that kind of rice or bread that you like, like <laughs> it changes but for me, it has been constantly this the shifting of how we see, because I think there's this emphasis, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. But what if you're too tired to do that? And what if, though, it's about a shift in seeing the day? It's how you see the day. So it isn't about that dash through the airport. Instead, it's the long love story of 40 years in the middle. Yeah. That's good. That's, <laughs> That's good. good. See Concentrate the day. on that, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, though. I mean, th- we're the couple here. So, I mean, what do you think? What in the midlife that we oh, are completing? <laughs> absolutely. And I do. When you were talking about the airport story, I when Jim and I were first married and he started traveling, I would park the car and go inside and greet him at the gate, which you could do that then. And I did that, I don't know, you know, maybe a year or so. And then (laughs) I started, you know. That's the evolution of your relationship. You get you you get at the curb. Right, right, you get left at the gate, then it's the curb, and then it's, uh, can't you take your car? Right. (laughs) Or or how about, I didn't know you were going somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how it works. But but yes, there are seasons in marriage, and it's not a fairy tale. And yet, God uses it to refine us. Right. Uh, Lisa Joe, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you wrote it in your book. <laughs> you ever <laughs> so that before? Do it. But I'll lay it out there first. I remember one time years ago, Gene said to me, you know, I love you. I just don't like you right now. 
To which I was like, how could that be? Who, who could not like me? <laughs> I didn't actually say that. I just thought it. Yes, right. <laughs> it's terrible to think that, by the way. Uh, but in your book, you talk about right before you go on a live interview, oh, I think man. Facebook Live yes. or something, you're yelling at Pete. Man, we had <laughs> so I gotta, I'm going to out you. <laughs> so it. what was going on with you and had Pete? A, we had a big old fight. So literally like four minutes before I was supposed to go on my Christian living Facebook Live. <laughs> how I, to love your husband. I screamed so hard at him, my throat hurt afterwards. Oh, <laughs> We were in the middle of a doozy of a fight, and I remember actually yelling at him, and now I have to go on TV and be a Christian. <laughs> can't believe you're having this fight with me right now. <laughs> All his fault. That is perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, one of the things the book is called The Middle Matters, and the subtitle isn't just why that extraordinary life, it's in parentheses to emphasize the extra, why that mm. extraordinary life looks really good on you. And I think we take for granted the ordinary part and we forget about the extra and that God puts us in families and marriages in order to teach us things about ourselves. So I know nothing better than a marriage to help you see yourself for who you really are, for how God sees you. And I don't mean that in any kind of self-critical way. Instead, it's kind of a discovery of the parts in your story that maybe you hadn't recognized need work. And that conversation that Pete and I had, I use conversation lightly, <laughs> loosely, <laughs> um, but it showed us a lot about how we communicate. And I think what has surprised me is you can be married to someone for 22 years like I have and still learn things about them, their origin story that have shaped how they interact with one another. And so we are big advocates for therapy and counseling. And after some great seasons of that, what we learned is that Peter tends to keep a lot of what's happening with him in his head. And I say all my words out loud. And so the problem can become when there are things happening that I had no idea are happening with him. And then he will approach the conversation as if I know. And then I have to say, I don't live in your head. <laughs> I did not know that that was happening with you. And I say this to young married couples. Again, the trope from the movies is that he will just intuit what it is that you need or yes, want and show yes. up and play music outside your door. <laughs> and I tell young couples, no, if you want that to happen, you will have to explain that to your husband. Yes. Like, my love language is gifts or acts of service or please do X, Y, Z. So I am not kidding you when I tell you we had many fights about how I would clean the kitchen or the home and then no one would notice and so now what peter does even to this day with our teenage children is he walks in the house and if it has been cleaned he stops everything and goes kids wow look at the house isn't it awesome isn't mom great look what she did because words of affirmation that's, yeah is one that's of my love languages. the whole time yeah. yes but i had to tell him that you only have like 500 fights before you figure out yes. oh I, I have to say words to you so you know what it is mm. that i need to feel loved in this relationship or what you need you you had a story about your son, Micah, your second son, who struggled with reading and mm -hmm. and spelling. Uh, what happened there and what, what did you learn and what did he learn through that? Well, Gene, he's the one who sounds like your son. <laughs> I always say he pushed his heart against me when he came out, as he still does to this day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, he is God's refiner's fire in my life. Um, he's a very unique child, deeply passionate. And because of that, when things are difficult for him, he, he explodes. Like, all his feelings are everywhere. And for anyone who's had a kid with any kind of learning disability, it's deeply disheartening because not only are you feeling the pain for your child and you want them to succeed, you are also 
as a, just being honest as a parent experiencing your own dread because you now know when spelling homework begins, it's now going to be like a three-hour marathon of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It was so traumatic. But we've often said that when we invest in our kids, what we need is a team around them. And I needed a teacher on my side. And I went and met with his teacher. And I described to her the struggles he's having. I I do this now every year. I write an email explaining to the teacher what we love about Micah. I want to preempt oh, their frustration. I like that. So I share, here are the things that are so great about him. This is why he's going to be your ally in class, because he's so passionate in these areas. And so he had a teacher who finally believed in him, too. And so he stopped saying, I can never do this. And he started saying, I'm, I think I'm going to do this. And he wanted his goal was to make honor roll in and in order to do that, he had to not fail English and reading <laughs> and spelling. And so I just felt like not failing should be the goal, not making right. honor roll, right? right. And um, But we championed him and we cheered him and he just had this growing goal in his life. And um, I was really nervous about it because they would have these assemblies where we would all sit there and then they call the names of all the kids who make honor roll for things, which mm. is a sort of crushing experience yes. if your kid is the one who's always left sitting, always. Five years of school, he was in fourth grade and he was determined to make honor roll. And I remember how hard we worked and how much we believed in him. And then he believed in himself and then his belief in himself became like a runaway train. And I remember he kept telling me, tomorrow, mom, tomorrow we get our report cards, tomorrow we get our report cards. And I remember being so afraid. Mm. And he told me, we're, get, we're praying. I've been praying this whole time, mom. Like, God is going to, I'm going to make honor roll. And then I felt really worried because what do you tell him? Like, God still loves us and answers prayers, even if you don't make honor roll. <laughs> like, it's really yes. difficult. And I remember sitting at the bus stop waiting for him the day he was going to get off that bus with his little report card and really talking to God, who is a father also, <laughs> and saying, listen, you better not hurt my kid today, Lord. <laughs> and if and if he does not make honor roll, you better give me the words because I'm real worried about it. But I just felt the delight of the Lord. I sat there and waited for this kid and the big yellow school bus pulled up. And he wasn't even off the bus. He was standing on the bottom step, waving this piece of paper above his head, yelling, I made honor roll. <laughs> and I'll just never forget it. And to this day, he's 14 now, and he's still a pretty intense person. But I tell him, honey, how God built you is the reason that when you set your mind to something, you are able to follow through, whether it's honor roll or football or faith. When I look at his journey now or how he champions other kids, all of those things, this is my encouragement to moms of littles who are struggling. That kid who is making you feel like you, you're never going to sleep again, He's going to change your family one day because Micah is a driving force in our family mm -hmm. who moves us forward, whether it's adventure or faith or whatever it is he's interested in. That passion just pours out of him. And it is an, a direct answer to prayer because when he was asleep at night as a toddler, an older mom told me, you need to make his bed your prayer bench. And I kid you not, I would kneel at the side of his bottom bunk bed Put my hands on him and pray for him and tell him, Lord, please, you have to use all of this passion for good. Because if the other side get him, we're, we're really in trouble, Lord. <laughs> and I remember he would wake up sometimes and be like, Mom, uh, what you doing? And I'd be embarrassed. It's sort of awkward. And then I decided I wasn't embarrassed anymore. And I would tell him, I am praying for you, son. <laughs> I am praying you will be a warrior for God one day. Mm -hmm. And that's just become the beauty of watching 
these kids that can be so challenging for us, man, in the kingdom of God, he has big plans for them. And I look at Micah now, he's giant. He's 5'11". He comes in every night to hug me before he goes to bed still. And I look I look him in his eyes and tell him, son, you amaze me. Like, you amaze me that oh. we're at this place together. I cannot believe who you, who you are growing into. And I'm so honored to be your mom. And he knows all these stories I've written about him. He has signed off on them. He has read them. He knows. And he laughs because he knows <laughs> how difficult it was. And yet when I look at the fruit of who God is growing that boy into, it, it's amazing to me. Yeah, that well, is so good. And I, I concur with that that our strong 21-year-old, we have a beautiful relationship. I think because we are so much alike, I just adore him. And I light up when he comes over for Sunday night dinner and Wednesday night. And it it can be beautiful. It can be. It will be beautiful. And that's how we concluded this first part of our conversation with Gene Daly and Lisa Jo Baker. And I do hope you'll make plans now to join us for part two of the discussion next time. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I just loved the authenticity. Lisa Jo is so real as she talked about those challenges in the middle years, in the areas of self-identity and who we are and what do we look like, and then into our marriages and our parenting challenges. And she shared some pretty powerful stories about parenting her teens at this stage of life, learning how to listen more and freak out less, and the importance of encouraging her kids when they struggle. The resource we're suggesting is called Launch Into the Teen Years. It's a dynamic video-based program created to get you and your preteen talking about how to make great decisions and soar with confidence through these crucial years. We have that available as a digital download. You'll find it on our website at safamily.co.za. And while you're on the website, I encourage you to browse through the range of articles, broadcasts, video series, and resources that we have available to help your family thrive. I also hope you'll tune in tomorrow for the second part of this program, when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. I'm Alison Schnell.